you'd be able to follow along with this morning's sermon better if you keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, the passage just read. And in your bulletin, there's a sermon handout, a white sheet of paper that looks like this. Do take that out as well. That will give you a steer as to where the sermon this morning's heading. Waiting. In our age of instant gratification, waiting is something that many of us don't do very well. If you drive, you know what I mean. Right? It takes only three seconds when the traffic lights turn green, and if you haven't started moving, you can expect a horn from behind. Now, can you remember what was the longest period that you had to wait for something or someone? A day? A month? A year? Can you think of something where you had to wait for 10 years? What about 400 years? Well, our passage this morning is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And on surface, it would appear to be merely an account of an angel appearing to a priest to inform him that he will, against all odds, have a son. But you look deeper and, and you find that this passage is really about God. But first, let me ask, what is the book before the Gospel of Luke? For those of you who know your Bible, you probably say it's the Gospel of Mark. But in reality... If you were to think of it chronologically speaking, the book before the Gospel of Luke is the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And back in the days of the prophet Malachi, Israel was still living under foreign powers. They may have returned from exile in Babylon, but they still had foreign rulers. But God had promised them through prophets like Zechariah and Malachi that one day a king from one of them will come who will rule with truth and justice and righteousness over his people. Look, for instance, at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the pole of a donkey. And so the people of God waited for the promised king to come. And the last prophet to remind them of that was the prophet Malachi, who lived sometime in the 5th century BC. And we read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I sent my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and a messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, his coming saves the Lord of hosts. And so we have all these promises from God and the Old Testament. And then, for the next 400 odd years, nothing happens. No prophets came into the scene. There was silence as far as hearing from God was concerned. No more prophets to speak for God. Mm. And the people of God waited and waited. They were waiting for the promised king to come. They were waiting for the first Advent. Now this morning, we mark the start of the Advent season. The word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. The people of God then were waiting for the first Advent, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, the King that God promised. 
many must have thought back then, has, has God forgotten? Is he not going to keep his promise? And it is in this context that we need to read Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Our passage this morning starts off with the words, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, what sort of days were this? To be living in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Well, to begin with, um, we know that King Herod ruled Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC. He was a brutal man, cruel man. And the Jewish historians would tell us that he killed his father-in-law, uh, several of his ten wives, and two of his sons. And in fact, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, we read that he ordered the killing of all the children two years old and under because he was paranoid about the possibility of losing his throne. It was said of King Herod that it's better to be a pig in Herod's barn than a son because the pig has a better chance to live to an old age than a son did. And King Herod, he also had an ambitious building program. He built the spectacular port city of Caesarea, named it after the emperor. He restored the magnificent Jerusalem temple and he built theaters, amphitheaters, palaces and so on all paid for by heavy taxes on the Jewish citizens. And then he kept law and order by using his secret police force. So politically, this is not a good time to be in Judea. But the religious leaders are no better. The two main groups of religious leaders back then were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And both were competing for the control of the temple and the Sanhedrin. Remember what Jesus said about them? If you go back to Matthew chapter 23, the seven woes that Jesus pronounced on them, on the scribes and the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, blind guides, full of greed, whitewashed tombs, serpents, and so on. And so spiritually, this is not a good time to be in Judea as well. Well, even for godly people, like our two characters this morning that we read, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest from the division of Abijah. His wife was a daughter of Aaron, another priestly line. This is a great spiritual heritage. And what's more, we are told that they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Mm. Now, we know Luke didn't mean that they were sinless, just that the sin was not the normal track of their lives. They go about life in such a way as to give no one reason to hold anything against them. But even for good Righteous and blameless people like them. They felt they were living in disgrace. We know that from verse 25 of the passage today. Why? Because they were barren without child. Now, back in those days, childless women in ancient Hebrew culture were considered a disgrace, even a punishment. Look up Leviticus chapter 20. You'll see that. And because they were already old, they knew they would never have a child. They would have no hope of ever being redeemed from this disgrace. So what do you have here? You have impeccable priestly credentials. You have impeccable spiritual credentials. And they did not guarantee life's blessings. And a question that must be going through the minds of people in those days must have been, can we trust God as good and loving when the world's in such a mess and even righteous and blameless people like Zachariah and Elizabeth have to suffer in disgrace because they're barren? So existentially, this is not a good time to be in Judea as well. And on balance, this was a time of disillusionment for many. And into such time, 
God steps in. God acts. But first of all, God remembers. Mm-hmm. Our story this morning really begins in verse 8. We are told that Zechariah was on duty as a priest with his division. But this was going to be no ordinary day. Because on this day, the meaning of Zechariah's name, which is Yahweh has remembered, the Lord has remembered, is going to count for something. Because on this particular day, according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And that is a reminder to us that everyday faithfulness matters, doesn't it? Your everyday faithfulness, it matters. Zechariah showed up for work. And in that seemingly dull routine of the ordinary, God shows up too and starts to do His work. And lives are changed forever. God remembers. God is working. He remembers His promises and He's setting the stage to fulfill them. As a background, since the time of King David, the Jewish priesthood was divided into 24 divisions. And each division served two weeks each year in the temple. And then they spent the rest of the year away from Jerusalem in other occupations. At the time of Zechariah, it was estimated there were 18,000 priests. Many priests. And so there were more priests than needed each week. And lots were cast to decide who did the various tasks. Now, Zechariah was chosen to offer incense in the holy place. Now, you need to know that's a great honor. In fact, that would be the greatest highlight of any priest. Because of the number of priests, many priests will never have the privilege to offer incense in the holy place. And no priest was allowed to offer it more than once. So you can imagine how excited Zechariah must be. I bet he can't wait to get home to tell Elizabeth all about it. But remember Proverbs 16, verse 33. The Lord is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God remembers. God is working. Now I want to now walk you through what it must have been like for Zechariah that day. You need to know that the temple is made of many rooms, many courts, they call it. The Gentiles would come as far as the courts of the Gentile. The women could come a little bit closer to the courts of court of women. Jewish men could enter as far as the court of Israel. And then the priests were allowed to advance a little bit further. They were granted access to the court of priests. And then you come to the inner sanctuary of the temple. And there, there will be two more rooms. The holy place and the most holy place. Even the priests were not allowed to go into the holy place or the most holy place. Only the priests who was chosen by Lot that day could enter into a holy place to offer incense. And only the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, could enter into the most holy place. And a curtain separated these two rooms. Now the incense offering happens every morning and every evening, twice. And the priest chosen, in this case Zechariah, would enter by himself into the holy place. And in the holy place, he would see three items covered with gold. The lampstand, the table of the showbread, and the altar of incense. And at the far end was a curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And then he would take burning coal, glowing coal, from the altar of sacrifice, which is outside in the temple court, and he puts them into a golden censer, uh, like a vessel, a golden vessel. And then he takes this golden censer into the holy place, 
and put a coal on the altar of incense. And then he scatters a large quantity of incense over the burning coal. And then he bows in prayer. And what happens then? A fragrant cloud of smoke would then ascend heavenward. And meanwhile, the people outside, as they smell the fragrant incense, they would then bow down and add their prayer to the ascending cloud of incense. And it was at this moment that we are told in verse 11 that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing on the right side of the altar of incense, the side of favor, the right side. And seeing Zechariah terrified with fear, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. God remembers. God is working. But that's not all. The angel tells Zechariah that you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. What exciting news. But there will be restrictions. He must not drink wine or strong drinks. And this is really to signify the special consecration of this baby. Like the Nazarites who abstain from strong drinks all their lives. And this is to be no ordinary child. In what is probably a first over here, the baby boy will be filled with the Holy Spirit even when he was in his mother's womb. God has clearly chosen John even before he was born. Now, I want you to stop, just reflect for a moment. Of all the people that God could have chosen to have this child, He chooses an old couple with a wife who happens to be barren. God chose this couple despite their inadequacies. Now, how many times have we been asked to serve in a particular ministry and our response was to say no, because we felt we were inadequate to the task? I think a lesson we can glean from here is God looks at our faithfulness. He saw the faithfulness of both Zechariah and Elizabeth. God looks at our faithfulness, not necessarily our skillfulness or our, our ability. He often chooses us despite our inadequacies. So what would be the role of this child? Remember we read earlier on Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then again in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this child was to be a forerunner who will prepare the way for the Lord, for the promised king. And how will he prepare? Listen to what the angel said. Well, firstly, by calling people to repentance. We see that in verse 16, where we see the word turn being employed a few times. This word is often used to signify repentance, a turning away from our sins. So repentance will result in a reconciliation of vertical relationships. Hence it is written, the turning of many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Repentance will result in a reconciliation of horizontal relationships as well, within families as a turning of the hearts of the father to the children, within communities as a turning of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And this was something that was actually prophesied back in uh, the days of Malachi as well. In fact, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So 
call to repentance. And then in addition to that, John's role is also to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Have you ever thought of what it means to get ready a people prepared? How are these people to be prepared? And here I want to read at length what Spurgeon, a well-known preacher of the 19th century, has to say about this verse. He preached a whole sermon just on this verse to make ready for the people, uh, for the Lord, a people prepared. Here's what he says: We preach constantly that no preparation is needed, but that men are to come to Jesus just as they are. Yet here in John the Baptist set apart to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The fact is, dear friends, that to get men to come to Jesus just as they are is not an easy thing. To get them to give up the idea of preparing, to get them prepared to come without preparing, to get them ready to come just as they are, that's the hardest part of our work, that's our greatest difficulty. Only the grace of God, working mightily through the Word, by the Spirit, will prepare men to come to Christ, prepared by being unprepared. So far as any fitness of their own is concerned, the only fit state in which they can come is that of sinking themselves, abandoning all ideas of helping Christ, and coming in all their natural impotence and guilt, and taking Christ to be their all in all. Beloved friends, this is the true preparedness of heart for coming to Christ, the preparedness of coming to Him just as you are. And it was John's business to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. End quote. Mm. We've just finished the series sermon series on the letter to the Galatians. And so you know how true these words are. Because it's hard for people to come empty-handed to God. We always feel we need to do something, to bring something to the table, to contribute to our salvation. And so John's role is a call to repentance and to help people see that the only contribution that they bring to the table for their salvation are the sins, the very sins that they need to be saved from. Now, having understood what sort of a person John will be and the role that God has given him, let's go back to verse 13. Let's backtrack a little bit. The angel said to Zechariah, Your prayer has been heard. What prayer was that? And what did the angel mean? Well, I don't think Zechariah prayed for a son when he was burning incense in a holy place. Hmm. I have no doubt that he has prayed fervently before for a son. But with both Elizabeth and him so well advanced in age, I would have guessed that they would probably have given up hope and not prayed for a son for a while. And also, this is a once-in-a-lifetime privilege of burning incense in the holy place. And I think that will be very much in his mind. Now, given that, I believe he was praying for the salvation of Israel. And this was what was expected of the priests, burning incense and praying in the holy place. And in God's wisdom... His promise of a son answers two prayers at the same time. Zechariah will get a son that he longed for and prayed for early in his life. And God will use this son as a forerunner to announce the coming of the Savior who will bring about salvation not only for Israel, but for the world. God remembers. God is working. And the fact that Zechariah was not praying for a son to some extent, I think, explains his response to the angel, which we will come to next. God disciplines. You see, the promise of 
John's birth was so unexpected that Zechariah's first response was to ask for a sign, a confirmation. How shall I know this? He said. Wrong question. This is a textbook case of how not to talk to an angel. The angel Gabriel has just appeared to you, given you good news. You should just say something like, thank you very much. <laughs> you don't respond with disbelief. You certainly don't want to doubt an angel. That's not a good idea. And for that, Zechariah was told that he would be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. And perhaps that's a fitting punishment for a few reasons. Well, it was his tongue that uttered disbelief, and so he was struck speechless. And probably kept the news of this vision from spreading until the appropriate time. And in an ironic sort of way, it probably gave confidence to Zechariah that what Angel said will happen. You see, if what Angel said was going to happen now, which is Zechariah not being able to speak, really does happen, then it's likely that what the Angel said will happen in future, that is, Elizabeth having a son, will happen too. Zechariah was being disciplined. And he had the next nine months to reflect on it. And for him, this was a clearly a lapse, not a recurring pattern of disobedience. Because we've been told right from the start that he was righteous before God, walking blamelessly. And Luke tells us later on in this chapter that he learned his lesson and repented. And this is a helpful reminder for all of us, isn't it, when we fall into disbelief. We may suffer the consequences, but as Hebrews 12 reminds us, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so Zechariah was being disciplined. And then when his time of service was ended, he went home to be with Elizabeth. And our next scene is in a home of Zechariah. We are told, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, he kept she kept herself hidden. And so the word of the Lord came to pass. Luke doesn't tell us why Elizabeth felt the need to hide herself. While it's likely that she didn't want to have to convince others that she was pregnant and to have to explain how this was possible for her to be pregnant at her age, I think she would rather wait until she was so obviously pregnant that no one could deny it. Right? And in any case, like most wives, she probably didn't want to be her husband's spokesperson since he couldn't speak. <laughs> but clearly, she responded with a heart of thankfulness. Because in verse 25 we read, and I prefer the NIV version for this verse, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, she has, spoken, she has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She recognizes that this was from God. And this God has blessed her beyond her expectations. She wanted a son. God gave her a prophet. And not just any prophet, but one where Jesus himself was to say later on, I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. Luke chapter 7 verse 28. Our God delivers. We can count on Him to keep His promises. And He often works in mysterious ways. Ways in which we least expect. And so for those of us who hope to see God at work, we need to be prepared to let Him surprise us. Let me conclude. 
when Zechariah was standing in a holy place to burn incense, he faced a curtain that was 60 feet in height. 60 feet, that's 20 meters. Where I am right now to the end of the kitchen. 60 feet in height, 30 feet in width, and 4 inches thick. This was a dividing curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place was God's dwelling place in the midst of his people. This was where God was present. No one, no one but the high priest would be able to enter it and only once a year and never without the blood of a sacrifice. But Zechariah's encounter with the angel Gabriel that day would start a chain of events that would make it possible for God's people to no longer have to offer sacrifices for their sins or depend on the high priest each year to go into the most holy place to offer sacrifices on their behalf. Mm. This is because Zechariah's son, John, will be preparing the way for Jesus, the promised Messiah. And Jesus will come, live among his people, and subsequently hung on the cross, sacrificed on our behalf. And at the very moment of his death, that curtain, that 60 feet tall curtain, was torn from top to bottom, granting all who put their faith in Jesus access into the most holy place. God's dealing with his people would never be the same again. It will mark the turning point of history. And with that, the writer of Hebrews encourages us today. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us. Through the curtain, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Have you done that? Have you drawn near? Who would have guessed that the story of the beginning of this wonderful access to God began with a priest named Zechariah who was chosen by Lot to enter the holy place to burn incense. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.